begin to love. We're going to be in verses 22 to 25. Now, as we come to the end of chapter 1, let's, let's just reorient ourselves for just a moment at, to where we are so that we'll understand what Peter uh, is about to say. He is writing to Christians, okay? That's, this is very clear. Right in verse 1, uh, Peter says, I'm writing to the elect exiles, to the chosen exiles. He, he goes on uh, through the verses, and he says, you've been born again uh, to a living hope. He talks about this great salvation that we've got. He talks about a salvation not purchased with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He, 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 he goes on in, in verse 16, I believe, to call us to be holy because the God that called us is, is holy. So he's not writing to unbelievers. There's nothing in this letter that is written to, to unbelievers. He is writing to true, born-again Christians. Now, at the same time, he gives us all this great stuff. Let's, let's get down to earth a little bit. He's literally writing to a bunch of Christians who have been scattered across uh, of Asia. These are the first Christians, really, the very first Christians in history in an otherwise, living in an otherwise thoroughly pagan-type world. And these believers are Jews, and they're also Gentiles. Now, you've got to remember, in that day, as I look around the room, and I know some of you, we all come from different backgrounds, um, some of us was raised in the South, some of us raised in the North, some of us are raised in uh, maybe in foreign countries. We come from different cultures. We did come from, from different types of upbringings. And, and you pull us all into this room. Well, back in that day, it was even more radical because you had Jews and Gentiles that were trying to coexist together for the first time. Remember, Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles. They couldn't be seen with them. They couldn't go into their house. They couldn't eat with them. But now Jesus has changed all that, and so now they're trying to coexist together. And as they're trying to coexist together, they're being persecuted for their faith. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Just take a bunch of people from different backgrounds, upbringings, cultures, those kind of things, and just put them together. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to have conflict, right? I mean, that's just that's human beings. That's natural. Now, add into that mix suffering. Add into that mix persecution. I, I can tell you, if you take the best of cases, let's say a family, a strong, close-knit family, and you add suffering, even in those scenarios, sufferings can sometimes bring up conflict when there is no conflict without it. It, it can trigger things in, in, even in a family. So in the best case scenario, suffering can cause conflict. Well, Again, you take this scenario, if that can happen in a family where everybody loves one another, where everybody comes from the same background, from the same culture that has the same upbringing, what do you think is going to happen when you take a bunch of Jews and a bunch of Gentiles, you put them in together, you add persecution, there's going to be some conflict, right? It's just, it's just natural. So here's what I want you to understand today that Peter is doing. See, Peter has shown them that Christian living requires you to be holy. He has, he has said that over and over again. He's called us out to be holy men and women of God. Last week, he even gave us motivation. We talked about that. If you go back to last week's lesson, he gave us one of the motivations was fear. Don't forget, he said, God may be your heavenly Father, but He's also your judge. 
Don't forget that. We should walk in that. Our conduct should be, we should be remembering that. But what I want you guys to see today is he's going to bring holiness down to the road of life. The way I put it, he brings the rubber of holiness down to the road of life. You see, this thing, we can come in here on Sunday mornings and we can talk about being holy and we can talk about all these things. But at the end of the day, you've got to walk out that door and you've got to walk it out. You've got to walk it out in real life. In other words, Peter's saying, and he's going to be saying this today, the kind of holiness that he's calling us to has to work itself out with other Christians, specifically in real love for real brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it all comes down to. We can sit here and talk about theology day after day and week after week, and we can know all this stuff, but you've got to walk out that door, and the rubber's got to meet the road, and you've got to act it out. You've got to really be holy. Not just say it, not just think it. You got to do it, and this is what Peter's doing today. Peter's getting down to the real nitty gritty of what holiness is all about. And we'll talk about two words today that Peter brings up. And the first one of these words is love. It's always been amazing to me that Jesus comes down to this earth, and He tells us, He says, "I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it." You know, there's a lot of things that the Old Testament tells us to do that we don't have to do anymore uh, because Jesus fulfilled it. We don't have to kill animals anymore because He is the one ultimate holy sacrifice for all time. But He comes to this earth and He says, one new command I'm going to give you. Just one. And that always, I mean, if, if Jesus gives us one new command, I think we ought to pay attention, don't you? Amen. This is what He said, John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that's how you are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You see, the Bible always told us that we are to love our neighbor. What Jesus is coming is saying, there's a new family being born, new brothers and sisters in Christ. You are to love one another. That's a new command that I, I give you. Later on, John will write this in 1 John 3.11. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. See, this idea of Christians loving other Christians is a very basic message in the New Testament. Peter says it, Paul says it, John says it, and they all say it because they heard Jesus say it. So what John's saying. You've heard this from the very beginning. This is the new command that Jesus gave us. Love one uh, another. And here's what you have to understand about this new command. It's not natural, it's supernatural. The, the command, this type of love that we're going to be called to do, you can't do it apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it, you're not born just out of the womb ready to go love one another the way that God is calling us to love one another. No. It's not natural, it's a supernatural thing. Listen to John 5, 42 to 43. This is Jesus talking to unbelievers. He says this, I know that you don't have the love of God within you. How does He know that? Because I've come in my Father's name and you don't receive me. There's something about being able to believe and receive that equates with the love of God. You can't have one without the other. That, that is an indictment of sinful, unbelieving men and women. You don't have the love of God. That's like saying you're an unbeliever. You're not regenerate. You're not born again. Why? Because you don't have the love of God in, in you. 
See, there is a type of love that unbelievers have. There, are, there are, is a type of love, or in fact, probably multiple types of love, uh, that unbelievers can have for one another. But unregenerate people are incapable, incapable of loving the way that Jesus is calling us uh, to love. Listen to 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? See, for Christians, though, this is a different story. See, when you're born again, something happens to you. Paul says this in Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, when you are born again, when you are regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit, the fact that you're given the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you are given the love of God. It's been poured into you. And now, for the very first time, you are capable of loving the way Jesus has, has called us to, to love. And let me tell you guys, this is a very, very, very big deal. Don't ever sit here and let's talk about love one another and think, well, that sounds all night. No, no. No, this is a very big deal. It is literally evidence of whether or not you've been born again. It is literally evidence of whether or not you have been born again. 1 John 4, 11 through 12 says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. If we love one another, God abides in us. And, and what is the flip side of that? If we don't love one another, God does not abide in, in us. Now listen, I'm hopefully this morning not telling you anything you don't already know. We are taught from, from little children in Sunday school, love one another, love one another, love one another. That, there, there's probably not a sermon that goes by over a, a month or six weeks period where that's not mentioned. We are to love one another. We all know this. We've heard it multiple and multiple times before. But what does it mean? What does it mean that you and I, as Christian brothers and sisters, are to love one another? See, this is sometimes difficult because if we're honest, we live in a world which constantly takes biblical terms and devalues them. It takes biblical terms and devalues them. Now, by the way, that shouldn't surprise us. Satan in the garden said to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually mean? That's always been his modus operandi, is to take what God says and minimize it, devalue it. And we have to be aware of, of that as Christians. And the word love, let's face it, is there any word that's been more devalued in our culture than love? I mean, come on, we love cookies, we love pizza, we love New York, real men love Jesus, and we love, 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 we... we, we it, but what, is he, what does God mean when He says love one another? What is He calling us to, to do? So before we go any further, I want to make this very practical. What if, and I won't ask this out loud, but what if I were to ask someone this morning, how have you shown Christian love recently? How have you shown Christian love recently? Now, most people, when you ask that question, my guess is they're going to do one of two things. There are so many people in this world, when you mention love, they, they immediately think of something that's sentimental or emotional. Okay? 
And, and, and that's just, that comes from our movies and our culture and all of that kind of stuff. Let me tell you folks, the love we're, not, we're talking about here is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice you make to do. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. The other thing that people will do, when if, I, if I were to ask them, have you shown Christian love recently? What people will do is they'll minimize it. You'll get answers like this. Well, you know, I made the bed for my wife. That's something she likes me to do, so I, I, I showed Christian love. Or I, I, I knew the kids needed some daddy time, so I, I took them to the park this week. Or, or uh, I, I, there was a parking space, and there was two of us, and I backed off and let the other guy have it. Now, let me tell you, folks, those things are all fine, but come on. Come on. That is trivial. That is trivial. That's, that's not what Jesus was talking about. We're not, we're not talking about fussing around with some sentimental feelings. We're not talking about giving up your parking space. Man, when, when he calls us to love one another, we're talking about some, a grandiose idea here. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Now, how did Jesus love? I can tell you this, he didn't, he didn't love in a trivial way. He didn't love in a, in a, in a mushy way. He loved us by meeting us at the point of our need. He loved us by showing mercy when we were broken. He loved us by being there for us when nobody else was. See, we're talking about real needs here. When was the last time we reached out to somebody really in need? Not giving up a parking space, but reaching out to someone who's in in need. When's the last time we found a single parent who's trying, who's struggling to raise a child on their own, and we pitched in, did just whatever needed to be done? When's the last time that we sat for hours with a grieving brother or a grieving sister? When's the last time we went to the hospital? and just sat by someone's bedside when we had a million other things that we wanted to do. But we put all that aside just to go sit by somebody. When is the last time that we sat with somebody and and mentored somebody that's caught in the throes of sin? When there's a million other things we'd rather be, be doing. When is the last time we gave up our plans, our choice plans, to spend time with someone that's lonely? See, folks, I'm talking about love here that reaches down into the nitty-gritty dirt of life and meets somebody's needs where they are. And I'm going to tell you, if you've ever tried this, it ain't pretty. This ain't a Hallmark channel where everything turns out nice and pretty. It's not the way it works. Getting involved in somebody's life, getting involved in somebody's mess can sometimes be a time-consuming, draining Dirty thing to do, but that's what we've been called to do. That's the type of love that we've been called to for our brothers and sisters in Christ. A love that reaches down to where people really and truly live. We are to love as Christ loves. You can't minimize that. You can't trivialize that. But here's the thing. Where does that kind of love even come from? How am I supposed... I mean, even as I say those things, I feel so... I feel I don't think I can do it. I start thinking about that. And I know how selfish I am, and I know how much I guard my time. And I know all that. And you want me to give all that up? How am I supposed to do that? Where is that kind of commitment supposed to, to come from? P. 
Peter's going to answer that question in today's passage. Peter's going to answer that question in today's passage. Let's look at verse 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. He said this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, and here's it is, for a sincere brotherly love. I want you to notice several things in that little verse. It can be kind of a hard verse when you first read it. But the aim of what is going on is brotherly love. You have purified your souls by obedience to the truth for, for what purpose? For a sincere brotherly love. So this purifying of the soul, whatever that tends to be, its final aim Excuse me, is brotherly love. Now watch what he says. What's he talking about here? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Listen, he's taking us back to salvation. He's taking us back to a born-again experience. Peter's saying at that moment, when when you received the Holy Spirit, the love of God was shed abroad in your heart. And at that very moment, when your soul was purified, when you were born again, you were given the capacity to love your brothers and sisters. you were At that moment of salvation, you, something was put inside of you that gives you the capacity to do all those things that I was talking about just a minute ago. You see, salvation is the great capacitator, so to speak. It is that moment in time where you are given everything you need as a Christian, as a, as a, as a child of God, to love your brothers and sisters. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need that anybody write you. You have no need that anybody teach you. Why? For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. What he's saying there is, I don't even, I shouldn't even have to talk to you about this or teach you about this because it's inside of you. Something has been implanted in you. This, this, this thing that's been implanted in you gives you the capacity. It's just going to be a natural thing now or a supernatural thing for you to do to love your brothers and sisters in, in Christ. He, Peter says, having purified your souls. In other words, the loving of one another is predicated on the fact that your soul has been purified. Now, why would that be? Because being born again isn't just an experience. Being born, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Being born again isn't just an experience. It isn't just a walk down an aisle and, and you pray a prayer and somebody gets you to fill out a card. Listen, it's a soul change. It is a, it is a you, who you are is now different. First, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. You're not the same Derek. You're not the same Bob. You're not the same Mary. There is a new creation with new thoughts and new abilities inside of you. You see, anybody can love those who love them. Jesus said in Luke 6.32, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. You see, even people that come out of the womb and they're already evil and they're wicked and they're, 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 their heart is desperately evil, Even they can love people who love them. Sinners can do that. Anybody can do that. But how do you love people that don't love you back? How do you love somebody when there is no quid pro quo, so to speak? See, salvation changes us. It not only purifies us from our past, 
but it's a purification for the future in that we become a new person. We've got a, a, a new way of thinking. We've got new affections. We've got new wants. We've got new desires. We can make different choices now than we made before. Let's read on First, uh, first Peter one twenty two. <coughs> Excuse me. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere love, now love one another earnestly or sincerely from a pure heart. I, I like the way Peter says it. It's, it's pretty interesting to me. On the one hand, he, he says, you now have the capacity to love your brothers and sisters. Sorry about that. I don't know what's going on there. Whoop. Got to kill that. Back it up. There we go. He says, you, basically what he's saying is, you now have the capacity, by the fact that you've been born again, to love one another. Now he says, go do it. Go do it. Walk out the door and go do it. Start practicing it. Listen, it's a pretty simple formula here, if you will. If the capacity to love your brothers and sisters is absent from your life, you're not a Christian. That's very simple in the Bible. You are not born again. However, if you are born again, you have that capacity inside of you. And Peter says, now build it up. Fan it. Exercise it. Go do it. Grow in that. But you have to remember, there's only one thing that gives you the ability to love one another. And that is the fact that you are born again. And Peter's going to bring that up. Let's read again verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, that's salvation, for the purpose of a sincere brotherly love, now go love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now watch what he says. Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, and we all know what he said, you must be born again. It's not an option. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. I read a survey, though, not too long ago, that 80% of Americans say they're Christian, but only 45% say they're born again. Now, I can pretty much tell you that 35% of people who say they're Christian, but they're not born again, they don't know what they're talking about. They're, they're clueless. But here's the scary thing. Even the 45% of Americans who say they're born again, when you dive down in the numbers and you say, okay, what does that mean? Tell me what it means that you've been born again. Very few people can explain what that means. They'll say things like, well, when I was 11, I, I walked down an aisle at a church. Okay. What does that mean? I, I, I prayed a prayer, okay? That, that's their idea of, of being born again, that they said some kind of religious experience or some kind of a emotional experience. Listen, I sat right here a few days ago and I put my arm around a young man and I prayed for him and he cried and he shook and, and boy, he was, I mean, you would have just thought the Spirit of God was all over him. Ain't seen him again. Ain't seen him again. You see, a lot of people have emotional experiences. A lot of people have religious experiences, but it doesn't do anything on the inside to change who they are. They're not regenerated. They're not born again. 
And therefore, like Jesus said, for the, ski, for the, the seed that's scattered, it pops up and it lasts for a little while. And then the cares of this life choke it out or the enemy comes and takes it away. But there's no fruit there. It's just an experience. See, again, it may have involved walking down an aisle. It may have involved praying a prayer. It may have involved, quote, inviting Jesus into our heart. But the fact is, very few can really explain what the Bible means when it calls us to be born again. I'm going to give you three things about the born again experience. Number one, the new birth is brought about by God, not by you. You can't make it happen. Jesus said it's like the wind, and it, and it comes from here, and it goes over there, and, and, and you, can't, you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going, you can't control it. That's what it means to be born again. you got no control over it whatsoever. James 1.18 says this, Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. By His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. We have no control over it whatsoever. You see, men can speculate all day about what God is like. They can speculate all day and think and dream and all this kind of stuff, but I'm going to tell you, it takes revelation to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It takes God Himself opening your eyes, opening your ears, opening your heart so that you can see Him for the beauty and the value and the treasure that He really is. That's a God thing. That's not a man thing. But see, it's not just any revelation. God uses the truth contained in His Word to reveal Himself to men and women. He uses the truth about His Son who gave Himself on a cross to bleed and die for the sins of you and me. He uses this truth somehow to bring about... The, it's the craziest thing, isn't it? Paul says, we, we stand up here and we do something and it is foolish to the world. It's called preaching. And it's foolish. People say, that's the dumbest thing. I'm going fishing. That's the dumbest thing. I'm going, I'm going shopping. That's, that, that's the craziest thing I heard. But it pleased God through the foolishness of us getting up here and talking about this man named Jesus that the power of God would save people. Foolishness to the world. But in that foolishness is power. See, wherever the Bible has gone, Wherever the good news about Jesus has been preached, the miracle of new birth takes place. It can be in this country, it can be another country, it can be in a church, it can be in, 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 on your knees in a bedroom, it can be in an, in a, in a, beside somebody's desk at an office. But when, the, when the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and what God has done for us through Him is preached, the new birth takes place. People are transformed Inwardly, we call it regenerated. Regenerated because you are a dead man. You are a dead woman. And He regenerates you to life. He brings spiritual life into you. And He does it through His power, through His Word. Titus 3.5 said this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He does that. Number two, it's a God thing. Number one is a God thing. Number two, it's eternal. Listen to what First Peter says. Uh, Peter says in First Peter one twenty three: Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. He goes on in verse twenty four: For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. 
The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter, by the way, is quoting there from Isaiah 40, uh, verse 6. And if you go back in context and you look at that quote or that prophecy from Isaiah, he's writing to God's people who have been taken captive into Babylon. And Babylon at the time was the most powerful nation in, in the world. I, I want you to imagine, if you will, for just a second, these, the, these people, their land has been invaded, and they are taken as slaves. They are lined up, and, and, and they're surrounded by these soldiers, and they're marched several hundred miles to a place called Babylon. And they've never been there. They've never seen it. And when they get there, they find this city that they've never seen anything like it. Its walls are, are impenetrable. Its army seems to be innumerable. They get inside and they, as they're walking through the streets, they see these things called the Hanging Gardens, which are one of the natural wonders of the ancient world. And, and, and as they go into this, you can imagine they're, they're thinking, okay, this is hopeless. We're never getting out of here. How, how, how are we ever going to get out of here and make it back to our homeland? This is absolutely hopeless. And see, Isaiah is prophesying over them and he's writing to them to comfort them. And he's letting them know, I don't care what it looks like on the outside, God's word will not fail. Amen. And God has promised you to take you back to your land. Stand on that promise. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. I don't care how hopeless it looks. Stand on the promises of God. He will take you back to your land. In other words, don't be fooled by the outward impressiveness of Babylon. It's going to fade like a flower. One day those walls that are so thick and so impenetrable are going to be returned to dust. Those armies and generals and those hanging gardens, they're all going to go back to, to dust. And by the way, God's Word through Isaiah, His prophet, proved true. That's exactly what happened. And here's Peter, and Peter reaches back to Isaiah and he quotes this passage. and Because he's also writing to people who are suffering in an alien land. This ain't their home. And so his point is exactly the same. When you're suffering in an alien world, and you look outside, and that world looks hopeless, it looks impenetrable, and it seems like it's going to last forever, he says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. All of that is going to fade and perish, but that new birth that you got, it lasts forever. It's imperishable. Nobody can take it away from you. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. This is a God thing, and it lasts forever. But let me tell you, while you are here, while you are an alien, in, or an exile in an alien land, this new birth is the basis for the command that Peter is giving to every one of us. Love one another. Love one another. What a salvation you've been given. An eternal, God-breathed salvation. Now take that and go love one another while you are here. Number three, the new birth demands a new love. I was thinking, if you were an American, and I've never been in this situation, but if you were an American and you were living in a foreign country, let's say like Tibet or something like that, and let's say in that country Americans were being persecuted, don't you think you'd try to go find another American so that you could relate and help one another? 
That, isn't that just a natural thing we do as people? We, we get together with people that are going. We have, we have uh, uh, recovery groups all over this country, right? Domestic abuse, uh, cancer, all these things. Why? Because people need the support that comes from other people going through like things that they've gone through. It's just a human thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a human nature thing to seek people out that are going through or have gone through the same things that you are. See, because they understand, they can relate. See, what Peter is saying to us today is stick together. Stick together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we to love the, the, the unbeliever? Yes. Are we to love our enemies? Yes. Are we to love our neighbors? Yes. But I'm telling you, above all of that, Jesus said, I give you a new command, love one another. Love one another. Stick together. You're going through something as aliens and exiles in this land that they're not going through. You can relate to one another. Meet together. Let me tell you, when I hear somebody say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really go to any church. I just, I just stay at home. And No, you're not a Christian. There's nothing in there. That's not Christianity. There's nothing like that in the Bible. I don't know what you're reading. But the people of God get together, they exhort one another and, and, and encourage one another and admonish one another and, and we, we, we help each other. And we're there when we need each other. That's Christianity. That's what it looks, that's what holiness looks like when the rubber meets the road. We are family and we have to stick together in this world. I put together a real quick definition of biblical love. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one being loved. Let me say that again. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one being loved. There's nothing in there about emotion. There's nothing in there about sentimentality. That's okay, by the way. I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, we sat here yesterday and we, 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 uh, at, at Brother Perry's funeral. And it's okay to get emotional when you care about someone in life. That's, that's perfectly fine. I'm okay with that. But I don't have to have that to love. God has empowered something inside of me that I should be able to now just say, you know what, I don't feel anything, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because He commands me to do it. He wants me to do it. I want to please Him. Again, it's not this sentimental feeling. It's a commitment. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and read the definition of love. Just read it. And what you're going to find over and over is verbs, action verbs. Love is kind. Love is caring. Love is patient. Love is, love is. It's all action verbs. It's not nouns. It's not, it's not even just adjectives. It's, 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 You've got to get out and do things. You've got to make a commitment. And by the way, it doesn't always mean being nice. Speak the truth in love. Amen. Speak the truth in love. Sometimes speaking the truth and loving someone means you're going to hurt their feelings. Right. It's not always about, yeah, it's okay, everything you're doing is fine. No, that's not love. When you put their highest good as your aim, sometimes you have to tell people the truth. And they may not want, in this day and age, people don't want to hear the truth. But that's what love really does. Just a couple of final thoughts and we'll close. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? What a question. Not have you walked down an aisle. Not have you prayed a prayer. 
Have you been born again? Or is there new life inside of you? I mentioned earlier, as I said in that, in that survey, many Christians or many Americans claim to be born again, but they have no idea what that really means. So let me put it another way. Has God's Spirit imparted new life to you? Has God's Holy Spirit come and dwelled inside of you and given you new life? And you may say, how can I know for sure? By the way, there's several tests in the Bible. But this is one test that comes from today's verse in 1 Peter 1.22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. There's two things right there. See, we have received the truth. We've received the gospel. We have obeyed it. And our souls have been purged. We have been born again. And having been born again, we should now have the capacity to love in a way that other people cannot love. We can now love supernatural. We are now qualified to respond to Jesus' command to love one another. Are you obeying that truth? It's a very simple question. Are you obeying God's truth? Let me tell you, I've said this often, you've heard me. Everything inside of me wants to obey God's truth. That is the bent of my life. See, as an unbeliever, you might do good things every once in a while, but your bent is self. Your bent is, I'm going to do what I want to do. As a Christian, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I was a slave of sin. Now I'm a slave of righteousness. Now my bent is to do God's will. Now, do I mess up from time to time? Sure. Paul said in, in, in uh, Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am. Why do I keep doing these things that I don't want to do? That's exactly right. I don't want to do those things anymore, but I still do them sometimes. I still mess up. But the desire and the bent and the practice of my life is to do God's will. Is that your practice? Is that your bent? Is that your natural way now is to obey the Word of God? And let me be more specific, not just to obey all of God's truth, but how about the specific truth? Love one another. Love one another. Again, it's going to be impossible for you to do that if you have not been born again. But if you have been born again, it's something that just should be inside of you that you want to be able to do. do you, are you always perfect at it? Do you always know all the answers? Do you always know exactly? No, but you want to do it. You want to love one another. So here's my question this morning. If you're born again, if you've got the desire to love one another, are you working at it? See, that may seem like a contradiction. See, this world, I, I, it, it never, I saw it again the other day. Somebody had left their, a woman had left their husband, and uh, her, I, I forget her exact remark, but it was something that, I don't love him anymore, life's too short, I'm moving on. Really? Really? See, that, in our culture, people think that, it, 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 Love is just something that you either have or you don't. And when you don't have it anymore, you just move on to the next thing. That's not Christian love. That's not Jesus love. That's not Holy Spirit love. That love is a commitment. That love is a commitment. Are you working at that commitment? Are you working at loving one another? Biblical love is a choice. It is a choice. It is a commitment that you make. Are you making that choice? on a daily basis, to love one another. Next week, we'll turn to uh, chapter 2, and the entitle, uh, title of our message or our, our lesson will be The Enduring Word. Let's pray. Father, 
Um, as always, I want